Hello, everybody, and welcome to the top 20 players at Worlds for the 2017 World Championship. I am Jat, joined by Deficio and Papa Smithy, who was not with us last year. Welcome, welcome. to the list. It's great to have you here. We're doing it a bit different this year, so we're not doing this big countdown of top 20 players. The list is out there. You can go look at all top 20 players at Worlds. We've all made individual lists, averaged the rankings, and that gave us the official list. If you're here to wonder why one of the players that you like isn't on the list, we're gonna be doing an honorable mentions at the end of the video. You can click timestamps if you wanna to skip to that right now. But other than that, we're gonna talk about criteria. I think the main criteria to take away is that top 20 is such an umbrella term. There's so many different variants of why a player is rated good or why a player struggles. So when it comes to these lists, they're very individualized. I think everyone will have slightly different criteria that will establish over the course of today. I know a big thing for me is consistency. All these players had those big peaks, those big carry performances. But I know personally, I'm always biased towards the players that did it on a more consistent level over 2017. Yeah, and I think another thing also that was important for all of us was like expected performance at Worlds. Mm. Uh, so mm -hmm. even if maybe the Summerswit wasn't the greatest, if we think this guy is really gonna show up, he might be on the list. And I think also very important for me specifically is also the importance you have you know, on your team. Are you the one true carry? Are you the captain? You know, I really value that highly when these individual players are showing up and carrying their team to victory at Worlds. Yeah, and for me, it's a little bit like that. The top 20 players at Worlds. I'm gonna weigh past Worlds performances a fair bit because I know it's a stage like no other and if you've proven you can perform on that stage, there's a likelihood mm -hmm. you're gonna be able to do it again. And then recency performance is a little bit more important to me than what they were doing at the start of the 2017 season. Uh, also thinking about the current patch, right? We know that there's a good support initiation meta going on. We know mids and AD carries are very important. And top and jungle aren't even on that list very much. We have two tops and two junglers. We're gonna get into that a little bit more later, but one thing that has changed from last year is Faker has <laughs> reclaimed his number one. Should we have ever moved him off of number one in the first place last year, Deficio? In hindsight, no, but I, I felt like coming into to Wills last year, you know, Smep was such a fantastic player and there was definitely a case to be made for him to be number one, but Faker proved everyone wrong, as always, mm -hmm. at Worlds. And I think this year as well, with Faker, while there were definitely some moments during the summer split where SKT were not performing very well, towards playoff, Faker once again picks it up and ends up being the best player in the world. Yeah, and I wasn't standing here last year when you guys rated Smeb as the best player, but I would have been right there with you. I mean, when a player comes in double league MVP in the spring season and mm -hmm. summer season, you have to wait that high. He was kind of game breaking in a sense as a top laner, especially in the regular season and playoff runs last year. So. I also had Faker at two. He proved us all wrong, and uh, we made that adjustment because I honestly, I don't think anyone had a bigger argument than Faker for one. Yeah, and even this year, it wasn't a certainty until the run at the end to me, right? They started struggling a lot in the summer split, yep. but the way he performed and nearly took SKT to yet another championship during those playoffs stood out to me in a big way. The way Faker changes the rules of the game it almost feels like. Like when he is playing Lucian against a Talia mid and a Jarvan jungle, he's so good at dodging skill shots, he makes it an ungankable lane, right? And almost no other player, no other player in the world can do it that well. And it's not just that champion he does it on. He does it on the entire spectrum mm -hmm. of champions within League of Legends. So, I mean, and he's done it for so long. That's the thing, you know, it's, it's more than just in-game as well. It's when teams are, are planning you know, to play SKT, to play Faker specifically, there are certain matchups these pro players are very used to playing that they do not want to play against Faker specifically as the only player in the world. So mm -hmm. then suddenly they get afraid of picking a certain matchup like that, certain champions blind, because they know he will have these five, six different 
picks, he can pick against it that you're normally not facing. And even in, in playoffs, you know, the Fizz performance, he was one of the only players to play AP Fizz in the mid lane still at least mm -hmm. a lot. And watching him like snipe carries against Samsung in late game team fights and literally solo carry that thing for, for SKT was just once again a confirmation of Faker being the greatest player who will ever play this game. And it's why he's of course once again back as number one. And it's really interesting because you, you mentioned the gauntlet run and, and the names that he had to run through when he was running the finals gauntlet. Kuro was old nemesis from the Rocks Tigers, now on Afrika, into Crown and Pawn. He really was able to dismantle these players who had had very good seasons. BDD, able to actually stand up to him in the mm -hmm. final, was a big reason that Longju could pick up the victory. But I love the fact that also, Jack, especially you were talking about previous international tournaments. You think this year and you're like, Decent MSI, not necessarily mm -hmm. as big an MSI as perhaps some of his previous worlds. Rift Rivals struggled quite a lot at Rift Rivals. He didn't have the sort of year where, like Smeb last year, where it was spring and summer, undeniable MVP. But yet, he still had a gauntlet and the recency of that gauntlet and what he was able to achieve there against really tough opposition makes you confident to say, this is the player to look at at Worlds. He has performed yeah. on the stage before. And you look at those performances and you say, I am 100% confident that he will perform again. Yeah, he's got the recency and the history. Only three-time world champion at the world championship right now going for four. Time to talk about the rest of the list, though. And one thing that we all struggled with was Longju. And how <laughs> highly do we rank all of their players? Because mm. this is a Longju team that was not good in spring. They switched out most of the players for summer. And then they made this amazing run the best record in the LCK, first seed in the finals, dethroned SKT. You can just add on to it, but the recency is there. And how do you rank their players accurately? Because at the end of the day, we now have four Longju players in the top six of our top 20 players at Worlds. The first critic's gonna come out and say, how can you have four of the top six players on the same team without them just being this mm -hmm. undefeated God team? And I think, honestly, there is definitely kernel truth there. We, all of us had to fact check when we kind of realized that they were so high because if you think about it, we always talk about, say, for example, on SKT, playing with Faker, the sort of attention that Faker draws makes life easier for Bang. That's always kind of been a little query, even though we mm -hmm. know that Bang is a premium AD carry. And when you have four out of the top six, you start going down the list. But if you follow your criteria, at least I can talk about myself following my own personal criteria, there's actually different arguments for each player based on history, based on form, based on how they warp their role, like Khan in particular. Yeah. So I think that they all have individual arguments. It is still so, you do pinch yourself a little bit mm -hmm. and look and it's a sort of list where you could have egg on your face if somehow <laughs> Longju doesn't perform at Worlds. I just think also with Longju, like one of the main strengths of this team was the, just the individual talent. Mm -hmm. in also the strongest Who knew this at in the, the world. Who knew? Sure, of course. Like a lot of people had hyped up BDD in the past and then he never really managed to, to show, you know, what people expected from him. And then he takes this break and he comes back on this team and then suddenly, you know, his individual performance is fantastic without him being the main carry on the team. He was actually more of, of a facilitator for mainly Khan up in the top lane. Mm -hmm. And obviously Khan was another one of those guys where there were people around the world saying this guy is good, but no one could have said, okay, this guy would be like the, the best top laner in the summer split in the in the best region in the world and yeah. the fact that he could do that for the entire summer split is what stands out to me exactly you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop with this guy exactly. like everyone's on tanks there's no way he pulls out jason jacks against skt and and they win and then he does it and then he hard carries game four he carries game one and that's what we're still waiting for right like that's where i had hesitations of putting khan 
even number two. I know Deficio is all right mm-hmm. putting pod number two on his list, and you have him at number five, Papa Smith. So you're the most skeptical skeptical of Khan. But there's a reason we don't have many top laners on this list. It's because the role itself hasn't been shining that much as far as your ability to carry a game, except for Khan. Right? He was transformative in that sense. And honestly, the whole team. You know, the word I used in the final was fairy tale because. All these queries were right there with me when I'm sitting there predicting SK Telecom versus Longzhu because they were playing that one style. They really do try to get Khan through the early game, get him a lane dominant champion, and push him to succeed with, say, for example, the Talia and the Galio, very big picks for mm-hmm. uh, BDD in the mid lane to try to facilitate the growth of top mm-hmm. lane. So for them to have a style that was very discovered, everyone knew what to expect. <laughs> Even the Trash Talk interview before the final mm-hmm. is. Faker saying, I know how you're going to play BDD. They knew the champion pool there for Khan in the top lane. They still made it work. And it's that last bit. I feel it's the end of the season that really puts the crescendo on four out of the top six. If this didn't happen, if they had struggled or lost to SKT in the final, I think it would have been laughable to have four of their players the top six. But Mm -hmm. how it came together and also their individual cases makes it the right list. And a lot of people always talk about how top teams and top players need to be very flexible. They got to be able to play multiple different styles. You know, if you're the best top laner in the world, you can play tanks, you can play carries, you can play all these different things. Yet, I feel like if you are a team who's almost perfecting one style Mm -hmm. and you have the correct players for that style, commit to it. And that's what Longshu did. So even if it is predictable, the fact that Khan is consistently able to win lanes on these carries here, the fact that BDD and Cost the jungler are able to play around him so consistently, and the fact that Gorilla and Prey never loses 2v2 in the bottom lane and yeah. actually even puts up a lot of pressure, makes this like individual talent shine and makes this one play style really shine for Longju. And that's the depth of this Longju team as well, is Prey and Gorilla have the world's pedigree. They were world finalists in 2015, world semi-finalists taking SKT to five games in 2016, and are now back-to-back summer split champions of the LCK. And then, like those guys, I have no issue putting in the top five. The ones that I did have to second guess was BDD and was Khan, but because of the stuff we've talked about of how good they were and the fact that the LCK is so competitive that justified them being there for me. I just wanted to end the thought, because there is that thought about showing different styles, but the thought is always ended with, otherwise you won't beat SKT. Mm. And that's kind of the, mm-hmm. the capper here is that they did stick to their one style, they did beat SKT, and whether you can query SKT's performance on the day, that part really does cap it off. And I, I think, Jack, you and I were agreed in terms of like, Prey and Gorilla, when you're ranking just the, the four players, the mm-hmm. order of them, I know that Devisha, you had Khan very high. And because he's transformative in his role, you really want to say that because he's the one where if you're saying top 20 players to watch, you're watching Khan because you know yeah. that that's yeah. where all the action from Longju will happen. But the variance there is pretty large. And that's the thing is that he, we know now he can play the Jace. It's going to be very interesting to see if we get to see it on the world stage. The one thing that I didn't see from Khan, the pause I had before the final was, haven't seen this guy as a true primary initiator. He can play the Jarvan, but if it's somehow a Maokai meta, if he can't find those picks, if the team in a best of five feels like they need to pivot, the fact that that's not solved is why I took Prey and Gorilla's reliability over Khan in particular. And I'd like to just quickly explain why I put him number two, uh, because Mm -hmm. you guys had Prey and Gorilla uh, above him. This meta will not be a tank meta. We've already seen buffs to champions like Fiora, and that is like one of the main picks for Khan that he can show. I think one of the points about Faker, about him kind of defining how to play mid lane, I think Khan actually this split is doing the same in top. Most uh, top lanes around the world kind of agreed on which champions you had to play. A lot of Gnar, a lot of Javan, some tanks in there as well. Like 
Khan was one of the only guys to really be successful on, on, on a pick like Jace, which is so focused on winning lane and being a snowball champion. And the fact that he can actually do that will also be a massive wake-up call for a lot of teams around the world who've been mm -hmm. so used to playing not really around top lane, a little bit slower in the top lane. You're now facing a long shot team with this guy who will play around him in the early game and he will be a huge carry that can snowball. It will change how most teams will have to play the early game against yeah. long shoe. And I just think the importance for him on this team and the expected performance at Worlds is why I'm putting him up there in the in you know number two on yeah. my list because he's just so important and he will be able to play carries for sure. Yeah, and let's open this up a little bit more uh, as we talk about the difficulties in putting this list in because one of the reasons we have four Longju players in the top six, aside from everything we just said, is who else can you put above them? KT Rolster was a team full of superstars with Worlds pedigree. They didn't make Worlds, right? Smeb, Score, those are the types of players, and even Def last year was number four, that start making on the list. You pull that out there and you have a lot more unproven uh, list of players that are going to the world championship. And you have a lot of players who don't make the list that are very strong in their role in Korea, but in this sort of list, you're usually trying to isolate what are the core factors. Like for example, Khan's performance, a core factor of Longju. So do you focus on his high highs or the people that facilitate him to play the style that he does? You have players like Core JJ, who's been excellent this year, but doesn't make the list. So. The criteria is really tricky when it comes down to the brass tacks and you take away, I feel like Smeb, Score, Mada, these would have been auto-includes on the list. When it comes to the high highs of players outside of Korea in particular, it feels like we came in on one player consistently in the top five, six, seven, that was Xiaohu exactly. from RNG, mm -hmm. who really, really had this argument in a year where RNG had a revolving lineup. I made some notes here. They had two top laners, three junglers, and four AD carries play over the course of 2017. A comical amount Whew. of players. We're talking about a squad of players that came through, and yet his performance was basically consistent through Uzi, who of course famously yep. a resource hog in the bot lane, to other types of AD carry that came in. So for him to be that level of consistency in a strong region was, I think, the reason that I personally put him way up there. I just find it so crazy that on a team with Uzi, it still felt like Xiaohu was the main carry and the guy you actually needed to play around in the early game to mm -hmm. then go down and snowball Uzi because that was kind of the thing for RNG. It was like, get Xiaohu ahead and then he can move to Uzi's lane and you know set him up as well. But Xiaohu was the main carry on this team and it's a player obviously who people have seen on the international stage before. We've seen you know a bit of a lackluster performance at Worlds before. Yeah. At MSI in Shanghai, he did stand out as one of the best mid laners, but couldn't make the final because SKT were in the way in, in the semifinal. Returns back to the LPL and now have this year where basically he's just performing so well individually. While a lot of people are putting pressure on him as well, it's not like they just leave him alone in the mid lane, they do target him. And that's just very, very impressive. I think the only little negative for him was the fact that, you know, in the, in the final, he couldn't actually win that championship for RNG and for Uzi and, mm -hmm. and Scout ended up you know, being the MVP, the mid laner from EDG, who he was facing. And that obviously is one that will hurt him, yeah. but he's gonna get revenge during Worlds. Oh, well, we'll have to see about that. I do wanna open this up a little bit though, as we're working into the rest of the list, to talk about the role of the meta and which positions are able to shine right now. Because you compare this list to last year, uh, where we had, last year we had three top laners, four junglers, three mids, six AD carries, and four supports. This year, we only have two top laners, two junglers. Suddenly we have six mid laners, 
680 carries and four supports, kind of like we did last year. So let's talk a little bit about why, or at least for me, mid is so important in this incredibly team-fighting meta where this, the life or death of your mid laner <laughs> will decide a game in a lot of circumstances. Yeah, there's of course a lot of mid lane champions right now who will be super strong in late game team fights. And we are in a meta where a lot of games will end up in these big late game fights. With champions like Cassiopeia and Orianna, there's always a chance you become a big carry. And then there's also like the opposite version, which is the snowball mid lane picks. We do see things like Lucian being picked, uh, Syndra as well, where you want to play around it in the early game. So there's a lot of ways for you to actually set up your mid laner either to succeed early game or late game. Mm -hmm. And the mid lane is just, once again, such an important lane on the map because it allows you now to go to the two different side lanes and then decide, do I want to snowball top? Do I want to snowball bot lane? It so often starts through the mid lane. And even, I didn't even mention that global champions like Talia and Galio, mm -hmm. we've also seen to further set up this, you know, snowball. And those champions especially, you know, look at uh, BDD, who's a Longju player we haven't discussed that much. He was very dominant with specifically the Galio and the Talia. And the one kind of query that a lot of people have is mm -hmm. they see his KDA, right? Because BDD, <laughs> the KDA player has always been this kind of ironic thing to say about someone. It's usually a bit more of an insult rather than necessarily a compliment, but an 11.3 KDA in the LCK is, is pretty unprecedented. Yeah, best KDA to, player in the world, you would There you say. go. You could say that. Uh -huh. uh, that's the part where I'm like, wait, what are you saying? Who's saying <laughs> it? If you told me that, Jack, we'd have to have words. But the thing about specifically BDD is that he plays champions that pick up KDA. Galio, for example, facilitator champion. Talia, roaming champion. We see it, him pick up the large KDAs because he knows his role. So rather, he's not the KDA player you might criticize, his ability to stay alive, but also output damage, I don't think is under question. Yeah, and uh, I have one stat as well called forward percentage. It's something we're kind of introducing this year. It's the percentage of time in the laning phase you spend beyond the halfway point of your lane. And BDD had the second highest of group stage mids for forward percentage, which if you are a KDA player who's only worried about CS and picking up kills and assists is not going to be true. So he's on the front line of that Longju team as well. Another mid laner I want to kind of talk about is Bjergsen. Sure. Because highest ranked Western player on this list two years running. Mm -hmm. He is down from last year. Uh, last year, one thing we said was if he does not succeed this year at Worlds, he's not in the top 10 again. But none of us actually ranked him above 10. And just because of the way the math worked out, uh, his average was 10.3. And the next Mystic and Bang were both at 10.6 and then 11.6. A few things about Bjergsen. Because he's been so overwhelmingly dominant in the North American LCS. Five titles, four MVPs. That's proven. On the international stage, what I want to see from him to even move up further in this list is more aggression and being more of a catalyst for the team's victories. Something about Bjergsen that I found was his CS at 10 is the highest of all players at the World Championship that are going. He's at 93.1. His opponent's CS is the fourth highest of all mid laners at world. So he's playing this lane to farm mm -hmm. and then just hoping his farm is able to carry later. But I want to see him dominate his opponents, shut them down on lane, and then take over the game. I mean, that's actually always been a bit of a problem for Bjergsen specifically is the fact that everyone is looking at him when they talk about his teams and very rarely do they look at other members around him. And that's because it's rare we see let's say a Haunter mm -hmm. suddenly be a big carry at an international tournament and all Bjergsen needs to do is just you know, go even or slightly win his lane with CS and then make sure Hansa can carry. Like, we do not see that very often. So when Bjergsen is not actually 
as you said, dumpstering people. Mm -hmm. Like I think a guy like Perks did doing a Messiah, and he, Perks didn't even make the list this time around. We don't get the same highs, where it really feels like Bjergsen is completely taking over a game. He will always do well. He will never cost you the game either. But I'm still waiting for that tournament where I really feel like okay, Bjergsen is just taking his team on his back mm -hmm. every single game, winning the laning phase, then snowballing the rest of the team. Because most of the time, he gets out of the laning phase, looks pretty good, goes into a team fight, does pretty well, but still needs someone else on his team to also do really well for this team to really be successful and win games against the best teams in the world. And it's rare we get to see that from TSM as a complete team. And, and I kind of echo your points in that it feels like Bjergsen has always been top five elected. So he's always been so close to it, but we've never seen the performance to really vindicate moving up the list. For example, Crown after Worlds last year, people were saying top two mid laner made it to the mm -hmm. final, pushed Faker. With Bjergsen, you, you see how he plays and the fact that he can play in multiple styles. He can be the supportive mid laner if that's what his team needs to be or if that's what the comp that's selected needs to be. He can be a true mid lane carry. I kind of echo what you're saying, Deficio, in that it feels like there never has been a time where all the positions around him were where they needed to be to allow TSM to be that flexible team that could play multiple styles. Faker, for example, from 2015 onwards, you could see he could play the Lulu and then Bang could be the primary ca carry on the Lucian. Mm -hmm. So he had that around him. To me, this year, I feel like you already said rubber meets the road last year and it, and it burned us when it comes to the top 20. You come to this year, I feel like now they have the same lineup as last year via double lift leaving and coming back. Mm -hmm. Double lift in comparable form to last year. Whether it's exactly the same, hard to say. But double lift is back in there. He can be a, a true carry for the team. There's another year in a player like Biofrost who I wasn't rating last year. He mm -hmm. wasn't top 20. But I looked at Biofrost and I said, okay, one split straight into Worlds in a group with Mata. He looked like he was going to be a big risk. And he did struggle. Came out, MVP performance in the, the final of the NALCS. Another year of seasoning, that helps. Sven Skerin, for example, even his performance seems to be at a higher level than it has been at recent international tournaments. So with the chess pieces around Bjergsen, maybe he can be the king to, to finish off the chess analogy. And that's why I feel like we have to just look straight at Doublelift and the bottom lane because Doublelift made the list. You know, he's number yep. 20, he was 18 last 18th year. 18th on mine, 21st on Deficio, 20th on Papa Smithy. So right at that arbitrary cutoff just on made the list. It. And for Doublelift to really show up here, like, or for, for Bjergsen also to really show up, we need Doublelift and Biofrost mm -hmm. to do extremely well in the bottom lane. Like, laning-wise, they looked good in North America. Teamfight-wise, I always feel like Doublelift have these games where you can clearly play around him and he will win you the late-game fight. But then you also have the next game where something goes wrong and you don't get that late-game consistency and suddenly the team will not win the late-game fight here. I really feel like with Doublelift getting older, you know, he's more mature, he's played so many years yep. now, like, this needs to be the tournament for him to really show those very consistent late-game carry performances so it's not just on Bjergsen. And you mentioned the late-game carry performances, sometimes he gets caught off. The last time I can remember that happening, that sticks in my mind, was Worlds last year against yep. And that was one of the big ones. But famous. that was a full year ago, right? Sure, he lowered the number of competitive games he plays <laughs> because he didn't play in the spring split, but I haven't seen that from him this split. I feel like he's gotten increasingly better of towing the line between being risky enough to deal damage but safe enough to not die. And that's ultimately what decides the strength of a great teamfight AD carry. Yeah, and that's why I actually think he deserves also to make this list here. Like, while I did put him at 21 and Reckless at 20 specifically, I had absolutely no issue seeing Doublelift make it onto the list because mm -hmm. I think he is good enough and he deserves to be there. And he's such an important piece 
for TSM when it comes to actually making it out of groups of worlds and trying to make a run for a top four, you know, for this team here and really show what they actually can do. Doublelift and Birkson are the two main carries and they need to perform like top 20 players. Yeah, I do want to stay on the 80 carry topic a little bit and talk about another potentially controversial thing that we have on this list. A lot of people that just watch the World Championship or are Western viewers that don't follow the LPL super closely would wonder how in the world is Uzi ranked below Mystic, another LPL 80 carry. And that's where the top 20 and kind of the, the subjective nature of it and the variables you take into account really come in because Uzi at Worlds is a proven commodity. He mm -hmm. has excellent world championship performances, but he didn't play half of Summer Split. I mean, you could say the same thing about double lift and the queries there. Mm -hmm. There are queries about some of these AD carries. Bang, for example, another proven big game and especially Worlds competitor had a pretty poor summer split. There were off-field issues, there were reasons for it. But I feel like there's a lot of asterisks around some of these AD carries towards the bottom where there was that one thing where you said, okay, didn't play spring or had a bit of a rough patch in summer. That does mean they aren't right towards the top. Prey, for example, is our rank two player. And to me, mm -hmm. even in an abjectly poor spring season, he was very strong. He had great performances. In summer, he was the reliable one. Mm -hmm. I, I separate him personally because he's able to be a primary initiator, famous Ash players, Ash Arrows, even mm -hmm. at Worlds, but also can be a hyper carry, also can play the Callista, the Twitch, and other picks. So and almost why. never makes mistakes. And, and is mistake averse, yeah. which is a, a good thing to have. But when it comes to the specific rankings, we're not necessarily saying if you lane bang against Mystic, this is going to be the outcome. If you lane Uzi against Mystic or Bane, this is going to be the outcome. It's more about what they've shown over the years in terms of consistency and also how we think those pieces will come together in Worlds. I think importance on the team is really what kicks in with Mystic. Mm -hmm. WE plays around the bot lane. Yep. They play around Mystic being a huge carry in these games. He needs to be aggressive in his lane. He needs to play basically perfect in team fights, even without sometimes proper protection uh, around him. They have these hyper carry comms where they're still playing a lot of different early game snowball oh, yeah. champions, and mm -hmm. they're not gonna help him that much in a team fight. So he needs to always perform at the highest level for WE to win against the best teams. And that's where it, it's weird to say that Uzi is not as important for his team because that he normally is the guy you play around. But because they have Jahu and RNG, I feel like Mystic becomes even more important for WE specifically. Right. And he also showed at a Masai fantastic performances, especially in the early game where WE had such a strong 2v2 lane. Yeah, Mystic's laning phase at MSI was out of control. Yep. And in the summer split plus playoffs and regionals for WE, uh, going into Worlds, Mystic has the highest damage percentage of all players at Worlds. That includes the playing stage at 33.4%. So we talk about a team needing him to carry to succeed. That's absolutely it. And his laning phase is incredibly good too. Where Uzi would be better than him, in my opinion, even though he's not higher than him on the list, would be in the laning phase, yeah. right? We talk about Bjergsen getting his CS and giving the other guy CS. Uzi does both. He gets a CS and he denies CS <laughs> on the other side. He is an unbelievably strong laner, but his flaws come through his stubbornness. MLXD almost always seems like he has to be down there. He'll push a turret until it's dead, no matter if he's died three times trying to get it. Those are the things yep. that prevent Uzi from being a top three player. Like, the potential this guy has is so high, but you have to take so much away because of the stubbornness and getting picked off and the things you don't it's think so he annoying. Be happening. It's so annoying. And it's the crazy thing that Faker, for almost every statistic you say, is number one, right? Best player of all time, undoubtedly. 
I'm willing to go on record that I think Uzi is the best laner of all time. He does have that yeah. strength where his ability to, in the 2v2 lane, open up massive advantages just from pure ability and finesse is unbelievable to track. But then, like you say, he has those big question marks that have held him back from even team success, right? He still doesn't have that LPL title had three match points and couldn't get one. I think it's fitting that the only title he has is the 1v1 title from All-Star <laughs> <laughs> Everything else has been second place. Yeah. I think they're also talking about a completely different AD carry. Yep. Uzi is Sven, sure. who uh, on my list is actually above Uzi, mm -hmm. uh, mainly because I feel like Sven will never actually hurt your team. Mm -hmm. He will so rarely be the one making a mistake or forcing you to just commit to him and then suddenly it doesn't work anyway because I think Sven is such a such a flexible player uh, also the highest rated uh, Western AD carry I have uh, yeah. on the list uh, I have him 18 you guys both have him at 15 and it's a lot to do with world's experience and consistently yes for the reliability of being a carry exactly if you are G2 esports if you do not know how to play the early game which has definitely happened before uh, for G2 Sometimes the backup strategy is let's go full late game and protect Sven and he will make, you know, this team win in the late game team fights. And it's amazing to actually watch him in late game fights, how he's positioning, his understanding of who is actually attacking mm -hmm. him and when can he hit someone, someone and when he can't is fantastic. And his synergy with this team, because it's not just him, there's also people, of course, around him. The fact that he's actually always able to work so well with the rest of G2 in these late game fights is such a fantastic thing to watch. And his laning phase, of course, is not bad. But it's not where he will completely take over like an Uzi will. I mean, he's a blue chip stock. That's how I look at Sven, is that you know what you will get out of him. Is it always right to invest in the blue chips? Maybe you need, maybe the meta requires that you mm. play a little bit different. But if you invest in Sven, he will give you those late game team fights. MSI, for example, where they would basically be doing not much for 25, 30 minutes, three, four, five items mm -hmm. would come in. Sven would perform. And it's kind of surreal that a player has been around, what, two and a half years at this point at the highest level? Really, he has been a pillar of consistency. The German engineering of what happens with Sven <laughs> is really in terms of his format. There's never been a query for me with Sven, and that's why he does sit above Uzi, who has the peaks, but has the troughs as well. Yeah, and even Reckless, who was the European LCS MVP, but that's also a regular season awards. Sven's clutch performance throughout the playoffs and also his past experience at MSI uh, put him over in that regard. Uh, I do want to double back onto the role distribution in this list and sure. talk about junglers, uh, because... Last year, top five. we had Clearlove number four, Peanut number five. This year, we're not putting Clearlove on the list because of his abysmal world's performances, and I think that factors in very heavily and is somewhat inconsistent summer split. Peanut wasn't even the starter all the time for SKT. SKT's six-man roster was there. The highest-ranked jungler that we have in our list is Ambition. Yeah. What does that say both about the junglers at Worlds or about the role of jungle in the current landscape? I mean, first of all, the jungle role for most of Summer Split have been very focused on tanks. Mm -hmm. and, and, and having these champions that can play early game but do not necessarily need to, and you have mm -hmm. very strong mid to late game fights, but you're often facilitating other carries on your team. In the past, we've had the Lee Sin, Elise Metas, the Olaf at Worlds as well, where if you're a good early game jungler, you can just take over the game and you're the one getting fed and you can use that to snowball out of control. We do not see that very often right now. So because I feel like uh, the jungle is taking a bit of a backseat in that regard, we don't have these standout players that we're necessarily highlighting and putting very high, because Ambition, as the example, mm -hmm. 
I think is mainly on this list, and I even I was debating a lot with myself if I even want him on my top 20 list because mm -hmm. I, I don't think individually ambition should be on a top 20 list, even though I don't think he's a bad jungler by any means. You have him 19 though, man. I have him 19. I just put him in. It's <laughs> yeah. the impact he has on his team. And, yep. And how important he is for Samsung specifically. And that's kind of the crazy thing is that last year, let's say you're a jungle player, you don't necessarily follow competitive league. You look at the top 20, you're like, I want to model my game on these players. You looked at Clear Love, you looked at Peanut, you mm -hmm. got two different flavors of jungle, and one of them would have fit your style. Peanut, the invading aggressive mm -hmm. jungler, Clear Love, more about the pathing, more about that nature. If you looked at Ambition, you look at him and you try to find those highlight reels, he certainly had great moments, but Honestly, probably his biggest highlight moments were in the final series they played, uh, Samsung Galaxy's qualification for Worlds over KT. And it wasn't kills, it wasn't deaths, it was about understanding where to stand in relation to a flanker, a cannon at the time. And it was the sort of thing that didn't even impact the scoreboard, and yet was a big reason they went to Worlds. And I, I think to, to reflect on what you're saying, the thing about ambition is you say individually, you wouldn't necessarily have him on the list. The, the individual side is not about his play. His play is pretty pretty much a farming jungler most of the time. He can <laughs> pop off mm -hmm. on Rek'Sai. He can actually get aggressive, but that's not his usual go-to. We have recent data points to compare. If they go for a more aggressive jungler, Haru, who is their substitute for Worlds, how they perform there. They went 2-0 down to Afrika in the qualification. They bring back in ambition, and the effect on the team is palpable. They've talked about it in interviews. Yep. It's clear on their games in the Rift they all become a lot better at passing around information. They become more defensive. They become the shield, the true shield comp. Not necessarily in terms of stacking shield, but being defensive, waiting for their moment, being so strong at denying Baron. And that really is ambition coming. It's, it's clear as day in the game. And while he can do team fight jungling, he is a Cinder Hulk jungler compared to say Peanut, who's much more of the warrior enchant jungler. It is what he brings to the team individually because we have those examples. The team gets so much better. They become a world's contender when Ambition is playing. Yeah, and it's so interesting because it's not to say that junglers aren't important to team success, sure. no, right? No. But when I'm looking at top 20 players at Worlds, there's so many teams where I say this mid laner or this AD carry or this support is having a larger say over this team's success because you walk up to someone and say, quick, tell me the best jungler at Worlds. They'll be like, score. Oh, he's not going to Worlds. Right? <sighs> score would have been on the still list fresh in for sure because I'm going of Condi, his, his rank. And for Deficio, his answer is Condi. For me, the answer was Ambition, but I had Karsa there. And I even considered putting X Smithy somewhere on the list, but pulled away from it uh, based off of you know previous World success down the stretch because there have been junglers going to Worlds this year that have been very good, but the inconsistency that is prevalent in the role right now and how. So many of these games are going to late game team fights where the jungler is a facilitator, ended up pushing them down on the list a little bit. But I'll give you a moment now to talk about Condi. Yeah, I mean, the reason I put Condi actually above ambition and fairly high in my list, because I have him at number 13, is a lot of it is based on individual outstanding moments, which is mm -hmm. what Condi can definitely bring to your team. We've seen it internationally, we've seen it a lot in the LPL. Like, if he has a night, if he has a strong early game, Literally, this entire team can just snowball and win in like 25 minutes based on Condi specifically. He's also a player who's playing against junglers in the LPL who do some really random things <laughs> at times. And he's actually able to constantly adapt to that and know what to do in a response. So I think he's a smart player who's also mechanically very, very gifted. 
And from talking to some of the pro players who, who played against Conde, especially, you know, at past mm-hmm. international tournaments like MSI, like, they talk about how difficult it is to read him as well because you think, okay, he's just going to do this easy path, la, 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 we can just counter it, and then suddenly he stands and he steals away your red buff. You level two gangs the bottom line, you're just like, what's going yeah. on here? Like, this is such and a the next game, play. he hard farms. Exactly. Right? He has so many different styles, and I'm a huge Conde fan, and I think he, he will be the best jungler during this tournament because also mm-hmm. WE will be a very strong team uh, as long as they make it out of play-ins, which they should, <laughs> bearing any crazy surprises. And that's why I actually think uh, on a top 20 list, he should be above ambition because I think he individually is the better player. I think role expectation also should be discussed in the top lane. We already have celebrated mm-hmm. Khan, a true top lane carry, uh, which is something we've said about other players as they come into Worlds. The other one on the list is Cuve, who's who's pretty high on everyone's yep. list. I have him at seven. I believe overall he finished eight. Cuve yep. is such an engaging player because if you followed Worlds last year, he had a great Worlds, mm-hmm. and you might think, okay, well, of course we have high expectations for him. But Worlds was kind of a very Johnny come lately. He actually his great performances were in the Worlds Gauntlet qualifier last year, had a great Worlds, and then I was ready to once again, okay, we're coming into spring season 2017. Of course, Cuve is going to do well. He had a very poor spring season. I believe he didn't pick up a single MVP win, maybe one MVP win in the entire regular and postseason, playing just the tanks, going away from the few carries that we're seeing for him. And then, okay, I was like, okay, he's coming crashing down. It was just a, a purple patch. The thing for Cuve that pushes him to number seven for me is that he has been transformative, honestly, in the summer season. First, he was able to work on the champion pool because he went away from Maokai only, for example. He was bringing out the NAR, which hadn't been seen in Korea for a long time, had been seen in Europe and other regions, but as a counterpoint to Renekton that was seeing very dominant at the time, he was our big Kled player, which is also one of those picks where you kind of have to have personal experience on. Camille as well coming in sure. and taking some of those skill mm-hmm. matchups that other people wouldn't take. But it wasn't just that. It didn't just end there. He actually had other things that really I, I learned from as a caster, for example, his item builds. He would go very DPS heavy on NAR in some builds. Rapid fire mm-hmm. cannon NAR was something we saw because he realized he was winning the split push. He needed to be able to hit turrets, went for that item build. At Rift Rivals, another one that surprised me is that I feel like everyone, as a caster especially, you have expectations of matchups, obviously. And NAR versus, sorry, uh, Renekton uh, versus Kled was a matchup we saw quite a lot. And it would be Kled eventually outscaling or Kled having the 1v1 pressure. And it was Cuve who went from uh, Black Cleaver into Blade the Ruin King and was winning the 1v1, the sidelines. He warped expectations mm-hmm. of multiple, like basically tens, hundreds of games and was able to redefine them. So for him to have the sort of split where he was innovative on both sides, consistent, even in losses, he was having monster performances, really pushes Cuve up. And those are the only two laners. We have someone at rank... Uh, rank four overall, someone at rank eight overall, and no other top laners because they are the anachronisms, Mm -hmm. they are the counterpoints to the current meta. And also because I feel like in every single international tournament, we we constantly see Korean or LCK top laners Mm -hmm. just dominate the competition. Like the really good LCK top laners always completely stand out. They understand how to play all these different carry matchups. They can play tanks as well. And QA will be one of them, Khan will be another one. There should be a third one technically mm. on the list, but that's where we have one of these problems with SKT. Smab is not here, first of all. But then you have SKT with Huni and Ontara splitting time. I mean, when did they even settle on their roster? It's like Huni is the one. He's exactly. the one going. 
And Cooney gonna, um, has been so inconsistent in the yes. summer split, it's too hard to justify him. And it's not the good inconsistency that Khan has. It's mostly the bad inconsistency where he's 0-4 exactly. 12 minutes into the game. But it's cool that you mention him because it's surreal that he's not on the list. He's not even an honorable mention when it came to the three members that were the closest mm -hmm. to make it onto the list. And yet, he could easily have a monster. We know exactly I how great he, he is. I think he will be. You see the, the, uh, the buffs to Fiora and you're like, okay, we know someone who's going to really enjoy this. I mean, just look at, at the group stage he's going to have. He's facing EDG with Mouse up in the top lane, who is a top laner who had a year now where he is still one of those like guys who's not a carry on EDG's side. He's not that strong of a laner, and he's going to play Huni, you know, in two of the games. Ziv is another one from AHQ, who of course is, is a big name, and in the past was a very good top, la top laner, but it's been a fairly slow year for him. On AHQ, like, I think Huni is going to have such a great time, especially in the group stage. And the fact that he's not on the list is, of course, weird, but it's based on a lot of the summer split we mm -hmm. have seen. We still feel like, or I still feel like, Qve, Khan, and Huni will be the three best top laners at Worlds. Yeah, and I see Huni's inconsistency as being a huge problem. But to continue the role discussion, we haven't talked that much about the support role. Mm -hmm. uh, because that's something where we're not 100% sure which support meta we're going to see at the World Championship. Is it going to be the barrier heal bottom lanes with Arden Sensor Shielding? Or is it going to be the Rakan, Thresh, Alistair playmaking, it's your time to shine supports that we've seen a lot of in so many of the playoffs? So Sword Art is a player uh, that we have a large amount of disagreement on, sure. mm -hmm. so to speak. I have Sword Art at 21. Not because you have him at 17, and you have him at 12. So we'll start with the Sword Art show, Papa Smithy. What do you got? I mean, it's also worth noting that only LMS player on our overall list, and also only LMS player, I believe, both you and I had on this. I mm -hmm. think you had Karsa on your mm -hmm. list personally. Sorta had his career year in a year where Flashwolves had some roster inconsistencies in the summer season. Maple, for example, because usually it was Maple Karsa, and maybe you extended it to Sorta as well as the big players from the Flashwolves. Yep. Maple definitely had a down year. Karsa, it feels like coming into Worlds, champion pool issues have started to emerge. His Gragas not necessarily outstanding. His Jarvan he was struggling with. It's not his meta. Sure, it's not his meta. So again, you're like top 25, top 30, maybe he's getting in there. But top 20, he's getting pipped and also his role is being overlooked. There are assumptions that have to be made about support because mm -hmm. if it just becomes an Enchanter meta, the support role when it comes to it being these a very high roles, because I have sort of, like you say, a 12, Mako in the top 10, Wolf in the top Wolf 10, Gorilla in the top three, all these players very, very high on my list, and as you say, on the overall list, my instinct is that playing actively in lane, having initiation in lane, is usually the way to play the game because you can do things with lane pressure and roaming that can't happen if you're just playing 20-minute laning phases without the turrets going down. So my instinct is, my read is, that it's going to be more of an aggressive meta, but with windows of it also being in channels. And Sword Art has had an outstanding year. And with LMS, you always have this kind of right. caveat of competition, right? And I'll yeah. devil's advocate because I have Sword Art down uh, at 21, not technically making it on my list. Even though we say it's not Karsa's meta, he's got a 90% win rate on Gragas. Sure. And I think there's a chance that some of the warrior junglers even come back for sure. the world championship, like Ezreal or Warrior Jarvan. Listen. And every time they take down a lot of those Korean teams, it's because of that guy, right? I think Karsa is still the best player in the LMS, even if Sword Art has had a good year. And Maple, I think we're in agreement, actually did fall off mm -hmm. a lot this year. But I think that's another thing that kind of speaks to the variability of this list. Sure. Who do you see as the primary carries of the teams? You can see Sword Art, yep. I can see Karsa, sure. and that gives us the spread on the list. I mean, I put Karsa at 17 
on my list because I see a lot yep. more from him in those, sure. in those games. It's also, though, with Sordat, um, the importance of him playing well in the early game to actually set up better his AD carry is something that Flashwolves will need. If Mabel is not going to perform during the World Championships, yeah. We know it's not going to be the top laner no. who's performing <laughs> MMD on their side, so it will have to be Betty down the bot lane together with Sordat and of course then Caster trying to actually assist them. And I think here if Sordat is playing well in the laning phase, he can try and set that up. I just don't think he's number 12 on sure. this, like where you have him. I think he's quite far away from players like Mako and Wolf, mm -hmm. but you have him fairly close because I still think there is a big uh, difference in actual playmaking ability on the on the world stage. Uh, but of course, Sordat, super important for this team, will have to play well in these different carries, and he's consistent, which is important. Mm -hmm. Which actually then leads me to a very inconsistent player uh -huh. on so you the list. Uh, his name is Scout. He's the mid laner for EDG. Mm -hmm. uh, we have two members on the left side who did not put him in the top 20. Yep. And we have a guy on the right side here who did put him as, what did we say? 11. 11, so yeah. really high up, just behind Bjergsen. This is the largest difference in opinion we have on the list, is Scout. So why is Scout good? And why will he have a good world championship is what this list is ultimately about. So. You talk about MVP and how we put Xiaohu almost unanimously up in the top five. Five, mm -hmm. five, and four. Scout had exactly the same number of MVP points as him, beat him in the final, and was the finals MVP. So that pulls him up a good bit for me. The reason I still had Xiaohu higher would be because of some of the inconsistencies that we have seen. I don't think Scout's Cassiopeia has been good. He actually has one of the smallest champion pools mm -hmm. from number of champions played at all cha of all mm -hmm. players at Worlds. But he's so good at the champions he does play. The LeBlanc game he had in the finals. Any of the Lucian games he played the entire year. The Syndra games he had in the spring. Mm -hmm. This guy has been absolutely lights out. And last year at Worlds, he was the sub slash swapped starter with Pawn. I do feel like there has been a large amount of growth for him on this team as they've been swapping out a lot of other players and giving him primary starts for over a year. Formerly a sub to SKT is what a lot of people remember Scout as. He's long removed from that world. Mm -hmm. And I have a hard time not having him this high on the list. I think he's going to be lights out at Worlds. I think you'll have the great games. Like For sure there are the great games. This is a guy whose highlight reel or his accomplishments are extensive. He was the MVP of the final. He was mm -hmm. able to be significantly better than Xiaohu in that final. But it's so ironic that he used to share that starting spot with Pawn because I see so much of his play style emulating Pawn when it comes to being aggressive, when it comes to necessary, when making mistakes, his high highs are counterpointed by low lows. He will lose mm -hmm. you games off his own back. And in best of ones, he has two down games. That's two games down. That's probably first seed in a group gone. And I feel like he does have that variability that makes it hard for me to rate him as one of these top players. I really do look for consistencies or a consistent level of explosive performance. Khan, for example, really did have enough consistency. I had a lot of pause putting him high because it was the single style. With Scout, I just saw the lowlights and the highlights basically in coming close to equal fashion, and I just, I just couldn't do it. I also think EDG is so focused around Mako and Clearlove as the backbone uh, on this team here. Sure. The ones who are actually making sure EDG win games. It's not Zhao Hu specifically being the guy who says, yes, I will go 3-0 in my lane and I'll just snowball alone. Mako and Klilov are the two playmakers in the early game who can set him up. Yeah, sure. I think Mako is the playmaker. I think Klilov is well. in, in the, in the LPL. Klilov will also be one of the playmakers. Yep. On the world stage, it's still a question mark for mm -hmm. sure. 
He probably might be slightly better in this meta because it is less Could about be. having these super early game champions. But when it comes to, to, to scout specifically, like the inconsistency is the same thing for me. Like I tune into one game and I'm like, man, this mid lane, what, what's going on? Like play around the AD carry, please. Go around iBoy instead. He seems to be even more consistent. And that is a weird thing no. to say because he will have great games and terrible games yeah, as mean, well. And that. And then I watch the next game, like you say, with Scout, and he is yeah. really good, but I feel like he's set up by Clearlove and Mako so much that I don't want to personally put him on this list. And I, f I actually think having him above Crown it's just, it's it's wrong and I just can't do it because I think Crown <laughs> as a strong World championship, despite yeah. having a weak summer split, will be able to bounce back and just be a much more consistent player who has the same highs as Scout can have and just do not have the lows that Scout will also bring. Yeah, I... I don't think Scout is as inconsistent as you're making him out to be, especially with how he was incredibly close to being the MVP of the LPL sure. regular season. And also, because he's had more highs than a player like Crown has even had, if we're going to contrast those players directly, recently, right? So Crown completely choked against Faker, and I know Scout's now playing <laughs> against Faker, so that's definitely going to be, that's a, gonna be a great match. We're going to see Scout go up against Faker, and this is a player that would have a chance of getting the better of Faker if he gets a few little bits in the early game. I mean, the first uh, VOD I looked for for Scout when I watched this thing was his Lucian games in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I was like, who is this guy? Because his Lucian was absolutely absurd, comparable to Faker's mm -hmm. Lucian in a lot of ways. But the rest of the package, I absolutely agree, isn't there yet. Yeah, I do think, though, like the whole uh, if Scout gets ahead, he can take over the game is a really valid point to actually rate mm -hmm. him high. Uh, also because, again, I mentioned iBoy just before, and we talk about inconsistencies, like, this is basically the AD carry who will win games sometimes, mm -hmm. but then also completely lose games the other time. And the fact that they can't consistently rely on him or Mouse in the top lane means that if EDG are going to succeed and do really well at Worlds, it is actually based around, I feel, Scout having more good games than bad games. I'm just yeah. not 100% sold that he will have all these big standout games that EDG needs for, for them to do well. And the thing about MVP rankings is it's plus 100, let's say, or plus one point if you're the MVP. It's for not negative one point if you had if a terrible had a match. Mm -hmm. And that's, I kind of come to where Martin is or where Deficio is about specifically the supporting cast because Mako, for example, makes uh, ninth on my list. He's very high overall on the list. And Mako is a player who has had an amazingly consistent year. Clear love on the domestic stage consistent as well. And I feel like there are teams that Scout can work in, and on his day, he will be a superstar, perhaps a top three to five mid. But that's already too many caveats for me to have <laughs> him high on a top 20. Yep. It's already too many reservations for me to say, okay, top 10 player in the world. Whereas Mako, his year I think is underrated. He was on the list last year, but it was very much Deft and Mako, Deft and Mako, Deft and Mako, yep. like it had been Carcer and sorry, uh, Carcer and uh, Maple. and Maple in hmm. previous years. And this year, contrast going from Deft, you know, a known quantity, a historic top 80 carry into starting with Zet, a player who was formerly Cry at the sub uh, mid lane of the Rocks Tigers, yeah. back onto his original role in 80 carry. Cry did not look great. Nope. Cry eventually, halfway through summer season, they throw in iBoy, who you know, just recently 17, just qualified to be able to play, Definitely more of a carry player, reminds me of Uzi and some of the other great carry but players. no experience. But no experience at all. And for Mako, after all this said and done, to have consistent performance, to have multiple games where he has three, four support bands thrown at him, even just watching the Trash Talk segment before the final, they didn't find anything negative to say about Mako. They kind of accepted the fact that Mako was going to be great. 
that to me really plays up Mako's case and even Scout being high on your list. To me, yeah. I look at it as another support for Mako to be high <laughs> on my list because I'm like, this guy needs to put out fires in his own lane, yep. in the mid lane, sometimes elsewhere. Mouse not known as a big carry in the top lane yep. either. And that's why I'd rather just focus on how great this Mako guy is and uh, don't have Scout on my yeah. list. We got Mako high up. We've touched on a lot of the top 20 uh, list. We're nearing the end of our video. We promised we would do honorable mentions. There were three players that were average rank 21. Perks, Ruler, and Reckless. Breaks my heart. Uh, let's just begin with the EULCS honorable mentions here. Perks and Reckless. Top 20, as we mentioned, somewhat of an arbitrary cutoff. And it should not be a knock on these guys yeah. that they're not 20, but are instead 21. Exactly. It's so close between a lot of these players. And obviously with Perks specifically, I think a lot of people still have reservations about 2016 Perks, where we saw the really mm -hmm. bad international performances. Uh, he couldn't perform when it really mattered. But... 2017 has been a fantastic year for this player and why I think he also deserves to be in the top 20 because not only in the EU LCS is he now extremely consistent in his performance and even having still some of these big outplay moments in playoffs, at MSI we saw the same you know, approach we see in Europe where he's aggressive, he's winning lane, he's doing well with trick and then suddenly you see this big carry who has these massive highs that you don't see often from Western players, mm -hmm. I feel at least, against some of the top players around the world. And the fact that he has the ability to do this, and he's actually done it now, both in the EU playoffs, if you look at semifinal and the final, and internationally at MSI, makes him good enough to be a top 20 player, and he will be a top 20 player this tournament. And yeah. it feels like a redemption arc for Perks, because 2016 was the international events bookending some good domestic splits. You come into 2017, he actually played, and he's played. This is his third, fourth international event, I guess, if you include Rift Rivals as well. He started the year off at IM Katowice, won MVP there. You can question the the level of talent there, et cetera, but mm -hmm. it was still perks on the international stage performing. MSI performed extensively, and I also have him on my list because I feel like this is the true capper. Everything is set up for him to look good. He played well in playoffs as well, so. Perks misses out, but it's a very why does he miss out, Jed? Why does, why he, miss does out? he miss out? Because I think you were overstating his good regular seasons and his consistency in that regard. I think he has had good international performances, but I look at even your European LCS mid laner ballot, you put him third team in the regular season. He finished third team in the regular season behind Caps, who's nowhere near this list mm -hmm. because he's so young and experienced on the international stage, and even Febevent, right, who have been good and it was a close vote. But I do think Perks is still inconsistent at times. I think when this team looks to a carry, they look to Sven, and I don't have enough uh, faith in the MSI performance that they had the strong best of five against Team WE after a lackluster group stage in selling me that he is a for sure clutch player. Uh, when I look at the overall gamut of, it, of his international performances dating back to 2016 to even a lot of 2017 to now. So I, it's not like I don't have him on my list of top 30 players, right? Mm -hmm. He's in there below the top 20, but he didn't crack it. And for me, uh, I look at Scout a player, I see higher highs from him. I see uh, more big performances from him. I see the championship of the LPL for him. And uh, it's a tough call. That's the, the difficulties of making a list like this. Yeah, I mean, for, for me personally, I see the same high highs a scout mm -hmm. will bring from Perks, but I see now in 2017, less of the lows. And I, I think with G2, it might be a little bit of a trap for people to look at the regular season in the summer split because they were not very good. Uh, after MSI, they took breaks, they came back. They are a team that normally takes yeah. a lot of time to kind of figure out 
what is the current meta, how should we play. And during that regular season, the reason Perks was not voted in as the number one mid laner was while he actually consistently did fine, he didn't really have the big highs. He didn't have those big carry moments that we normally see from him. He just did pretty well in almost every single game he played, excluding a few early Lucian games during the regular season. And those are low lows that they you're got completely better, though. looking past. No, they got much better. And that was also a team thing with Perks specifically. And I think you, you need to look at playoff G2. You need to look at uh, G2 as a team over the past two years who we know when they can get to best of series will be a fantastic team. I understand the reservations though about B1s. I understand also how the regular season can maybe push perks away, but I still think that he's proven enough times that he is definitely one of the, the best mid laners. It's kind of weird to devil's advocate a point that I largely agree with you on, but maybe the price <laughs> of G2's notable failures or notable shortcomings mm -hmm. is that he doesn't make top 20 because G2 as an org do go for these long view decisions where they say, okay, we've played a lot of League of Legends. We need this extra recuperation times. We'll be ready for Worlds. Can you also then say, sucks that he's not top 20 because of regular season that was kind of set up to fail. It's a very, it's kind of a very interesting thing to evaluate. For me, no, he gets on the list. For Jat, apparently, yeah. yes. Uh, we do need to move on uh, from Perks. Reckless and Ruler are two other players that narrowly missed, yeah. missed off the list. I think Reckless will be a surprise to a lot of people. That he Reckless is a player that if if I didn't have Scout on my list or if I didn't have Karsa on my list, would move up there, right? I, have, I think he had a career split in a lot of ways. He's a very strong 21. And also, I think with Reckless, I personally put him 20, so I just mm -hmm. had him on the list. Uh, everyone else had him just outside, uh, which is, why, of course, why he didn't make it. But well, important to highlight, the reason, <laughs> the reason I did put him on the list is I think he is the most important member right now for Fnatic, and if Fnatic is going to have success on the international stage, it's through Reckless. Uh, we saw early in the split, the, the cannons and the split push style that was set up by him and Soa specifically. That obviously didn't work after Rift Rivals and a few nerfs and meta changes happened and people kind of figured it out. Thank you, North America. Coming into playoffs, you then see a Reckless going back to late game carry style with still mm -hmm. the strong laning phase. Like he would win lane almost every single game in playoffs. In late game team fights, even if the team were down five, six K gold, you could rely on Reckless to be this huge, fantastic carry. And like the stats again, he's like number one in almost everything. Yeah. So the fact he had such a great split and he became so reliable both in laning phase and late game, and he's so important for Fnatic, is why I put him at number 20. And some people might call this unfair, but I feel like if he beats Misfits, he's on top 20. But they didn't beat Misfits. They, they did not. were upset in playoffs by what should have been an inferior team, especially with him as a leader in carry. And the thing about lists is, you know, I agonized about Reckless and getting him on the list and considering who could drop, who could go up. If it was that Reckless the entire year, he's way up the list. Let's say they finished second in, let's just say, let's say he, they, they finished First, as you say, he would get on the list. Let's say Let's he say they had... won Rift Rivals. Sure. Let's say they won the European split. He's way up there. And that's kind of the, the crazy but exciting thing about a list like this is that he's so close. He could easily be the sort of player that is a top five player at the World Championships in 2017. It could happen. They could absolutely go on a big run. But the ifs and buts are holding mm -hmm. him back. It doesn't mean he's not a fantastic AD carry. That part is undeniable. But getting him on the list, they're just... There were 20 better arguments. Yep, Ruler, another guy who is tied with these guys at 21. Uh, we also agonized about this one. Yep. Uh, ultimately, He was on the me, list for a part of the time yep. there. One thing was it was hard for me to get four Samsung players on the list as far as deciding who is the, the catalyst for this team's success. We have Crown, we have QV, we even have Ambition. And 
Ruler just doesn't make enough aggressive plays for me to warrant that. He's a solid, reliable AD carry on a very good team, but we've seen a lot of those guys, and we've seen them been, be interchangeable in the past. So I think Ruler's a lot better than he was last year, and I think his team fighting is solid, but it wasn't enough uh, standout performances, so to speak, to make it on the list for me. It's also because Samsung is so based around the team and not these individual standout carries. So when it comes to the importance on, on your lineup, there are other AD carries or other players who just have a bigger role in their team. I think Ruler is, as you said, he's great. He definitely is, but so is Crown when it matters in the big late game fights, from what I expect the world's at least. Cube, Ambition, like Core GJ, like there are so many players here making this a great team, and it's not about Ruler specifically, which is why I personally moved him slightly down and even mm -hmm. put double lift above him uh, on my list. I mean, Ruler was close. Um, last year, of course, he came in after one regular season split came into the World Championships one game away from the title. Was he necessarily the causative reason for that? No, but he had a good Worlds. Mm -hmm. He improved as a player in 2017. Specifically, the big criticism on him last year was alone deaths, where as a player new to competitive, he'd push up for that extra wave, be picked off. He got picked off, of course, in the grand final as well, which I'm sure he agonized over. He's not that player anymore. His positioning, I think, as a solo trait, which is a hard one very much to evaluate, mm -hmm. Apple stats for, his positioning in team fights has been outstanding. The SKT versus Samsung game, where they had assassins, he was playing the virus in that game, was kiting back, putting out max damage. His team fighting has now got to the point where he used to be a very good laner, his team fighting wasn't really evaluated, now he's there. So I feel like he's getting closer to the complete package. I feel like he's getting closer to taking away some of these players who have the big reputations, for example, a Bang, for example, if Ruler has another year like he's had, I feel like he joins the premium status mm -hmm. of players that are always gonna be feel like auto-includes yeah. on a list like that. So I'm okay with him dropping off, but he's, he's again, a strong outsider. And you can tell just by the difficulty of the conversation of like, <laughs> you're not a top 20 player, but we really like you, uh, shows how difficult it is to be on the ribbons? list. Like, you uh. can paint me as a Perks hater. I still think Perks is a great player. I just have a slightly different yep. view than you guys do of Perks uh, well, on this criteria. list. You're so. still saying he's number 26 at Worlds. That yeah. is a pretty nice title to have. starters at <laughs> Worlds before substitutes, and they're all the best players from their region. Like, the funnel here uh, goes incredibly thin. So, uh, we've done honorable mention, we've done the list. Do you have final thoughts about list approach, players at Worlds? We've been talking for quite a while, but what haven't you gotten to say that you want to say now? Hmm. I hope I'm wrong, honestly. I hope there are players here who Shatter expectations. I'm not talking about the 21s, you know, the people who were just off the list. There are the Hooney that we mentioned earlier. There are unforeseen things that happen. There are players here who weren't playing professionally in spring season. You know, there are the mm -hmm. BDDs and Khan who leapt off the page and now are right up there when it comes to our consideration. So we look at, we do it, we have our process, we have our criteria. It's why some mm -hmm. players didn't quite shave in, but I'm ready for some surprises as well. There will be players that rise and fall off mm -hmm. this list, and hopefully there are new players as well, because get together, do it again next year, and learn from our mistakes. Yeah, I, I think making this list was so difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, top five actually felt fairly easy for me sure. to put in. Mm -hmm. Everything from down there, you know, it got, just got harder and harder, and especially as you just highlighted down towards the last ones within the top 20, when you get to 18, 19, 20, like, it is these tiny, tiny things that changes between these players, and the fact that you don't have, you know, the, the rule or the perks, uh, these guys, you know, on this list here, reckless even, like, 
They are so close and they're still so good that it would not surprise me at all if during the tournament they could move in the list and then move back out again, mm -hmm. depending on what mm -hmm. actually happens during the group stage. And they will have moments where they shine, they'll have moments where they don't. And that's the key thing to highlight here. And the fact that a double lift, you know, takes that number 20 over some of these guys, I think is well deserved and something I'm hoping he's going to show and prove as well during the tournament. We can edit the article during the tournament if things change. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, actually, I don't, I don't think so. My last thought for this as well is uh, these lists are fun to make, but they're also excruciating to make because you're trying to make so many subjective calls between players from different regions yep. with different experience levels. <laughs> and it's, it's about the conversation. So one thing that I want to see, I want to see other people's lists. I want to be flamed for my list. I want to see, and like you said, I no hope problem. you're wrong, right? Being wrong, uh, I don't think is a problem, but being right is going to feel really good. When Scout smashes that group stage, I'm going to feel really good about this. It's very hard to have on broadcast language discussions about this list because at some point you're inventing new adjectives like he's the most best or he's super great like you have to really to separate fantastic players that are each and individually celebrated by their teams by their regions is excruciating but it's the conversation that's the fun bit yeah anyway thank you very much for joining us on this journey of top 20 hope we answered your questions to the best of our ability i can't wait for worlds same it's coming soon